If you're one of those people who says, well, I just grew up Christian and I just want to invite you that there's more for you than that. There's nothing wrong with growing up Christian. I grew up Christian too. But if our religion is just about being born into it, then how are we really different than anyone else? How are we different than a Muslim or a Jewish person or a Hindu? Is there something more? Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. My name is Nicole Eunice. I am your pastor, your coach, your counselor, your friend, as we are on a journey together to discover what God's Word has to say to us, what it means in the time that it was written, and what it means for us today, and what a journey we have been on together this past year, just truly living under God's Word and um, allowing that to be the compass for our life. Doesn't that sound so good? to know that God, who is faithful, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God has given us his word that will instruct our hearts no matter the circumstances. And in a time that has felt so turbulent, so disconcerting, so disruptive for so many of us to know that we have an anchor for our soul, that our souls are not dependent on the storms of the world to determine who we are but that we actually have an anchor that is timeless and stands outside of any suffering, any circumstances that we can face. And that's truly what we're focusing on, friends, in this series called The Miracle Moment. This is a series that is based on a book that's just released on May 18th and... That book that I've written is all about how to be healthy in our relationships, but alongside of that trade book, there's also a Bible study that really gets into what are the biblical principles that God has taught us that allow us to actually have hope and freedom and joy in even our most difficult relationships. So we are in that series right now looking at these biblical passages that bring us along in uh, growing stronger, more free, more joy joyful, more courageous in all of our relationships. And today we're going to look at the promise of victory found in Romans 8. And friends, this is one of the most special passages to me in all of scripture. This is really um, the passage where I felt like God got a hold of my heart again, um, sort of invited me to come back home to him when I was 17 years old. I had grown up in the church, but had really, really strayed uh, far from God due to just some resentment, bitterness, hard, hardness of heart, um, my own hurts. And in the midst of that, really felt like God brought me to this passage at a crucial low point in my life. And that became um, a time, now that I look back on it, that God did a miracle in my heart and brought me into relationship with Him, true abiding relationship. But even in that moment, I didn't really know it was happening, but I can look back at it and pinpoint it. And friends, I hope that you have a similar story, not because you need a dramatic experience, although some of us have a dramatic experience, but because you're listening to your heart and asking the question, when did my heart start to wake up? to God? When did I surrender my own way? (laughs) When did I just get to the end of myself and say, I've got to do it this way? When did I become curious about what it would be like to follow Jesus? And, And friends, if you haven't had a moment like that in your life, if you're one of those people who says, well, I just grew up Christian and I just want to invite you that there's more for you than that. There's nothing wrong with growing up Christian. I grew up Christian too. But if our religion is just about being born into it, then how are we really different than anyone else? How are we different than a Muslim 
or a Jewish person or a Hindu? Is there something more? And I truly do believe that, as Scripture says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus himself invites us, all of us, no matter what our pedigree, our background, no matter how we were born and how we were raised, he invites us into his family. And my experience in that moment was this awakening, just that little bit of kindling where I started to have this flame start to build and burn for this idea that uh, the Bible really is truth and really does direct us and gives us the way to live. Like actually with work, you know, if we put the work in, we can really discover that God gives us a way to live that leads to freedom and joy. It does not lead to ease all the time. It doesn't mean that our pain goes away. It doesn't mean that we don't still suffer grief as we'll look at today, but it does mean that we can do it from a place of confidence and victory because that is what we are offered in Christ. So let's look at the passage. I'm getting ahead of myself, guys. I'm not supposed to preach on this podcast. I think you know that. I'm supposed to work through our four questions from the Alive Method with you (laughs) that you can find in my book, Help My Bible's Alive, but I just had to take a second and bring some glory to God. You know what I mean? And I hope that you have moments like that in your life too, where you just, you're just overcome by the reality that God loves you so much that his grace has a bounding, there is a bounding to you um, and you didn't deserve it and you couldn't earn it. And yet there he was with his grace and his fellowship and his presence, because that's what our, that's who our God is. And that's why we bring him glory. So let's look at Romans eight together. If you want to open your scripture, I'm going to, as I always do, I'm going to read it to you. And then we're going to ask the four questions from the alive method. Uh, What does it say? What's the backstory? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? And we're going to look at this idea of what does it mean that we live in victory? Okay, so Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, baby. 
There's a lot here. So let's ask that first question. What does it say? We could spend weeks on this passage, and we will actually return to this passage. We are going to study the book of Romans together later this fall. So make sure you like grab all your friends and get connected, and we will do that study together. We're going to have some options for you guys as well to be more connected in community through that. But for today, we've got so much here that we can look at, but I just want to point out a few things. I want to invite you to to underline, to make some notes. Remember, when we're asking the question, what does it say? We're just really trying to make sure that we have heard what the passage is giving, communicating, what truths are being communicated. And most of the time when we do that, we're going to have questions, right? So first of all, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? So If you read that out of context, like you're not in Romans 8 right now, if your Bible's not open, you're just listening to me, the first thing you should be asking is, what are these things? Because obviously, Paul is writing this from a place of saying, hey, this is about what I just said. Like, these, this is the results of what I just said. So in my Bible, I'm going to write, okay, what did he just say? I need to make sure I understand, like, there's an argument that's being developed. Do you guys feel that when I read it to you? Do you see how Paul is laying out a logical argument? And he's saying, hey, in this passage, this is the result of all those things that we said before. So we're going to want to ask ourselves, like, what happened before? We, we probably can't get into all that right now, but we are going to want to at least have like a line or two. Okay, where were we before this? Because this is the results of whatever those things were that Paul just said, right? So then it goes on, and we see here, and maybe you notice here, In verse 33, I just underlined, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? The the phrase, any charge, I just wrote legal language next to that. Like this really feels like we're we're kind of creating this courtroom drama where there are um, reasons for charges to be brought and there is an argument being developed about how that charge is being received, right? And so it says it is God who justifies, right? So who can condemn? So again, we're building an argument. And right next to that verse 33, I just wrote um, power. Because what I see here is God as ultimate power is being placed, like Paul's putting him there and then saying, based on this power, based on what we see coming out of that power, where then does all the rest of the power land, right? So if God is for us in that power, then who can really bring a charge against the one who is the most powerful? If God has justified who then could condemn over that justification? Now we can circle that word justify. That's an important word. Again, courtroom language that we want to hear, right? So if God is powerful, who then can bring a charge against anyone that's in God? Who then can condemn anyone who is with God? Who then could separate us from the love that we find in Christ, right? So I wrote down those three questions in my notes because I want to be able to say, okay, when I read Romans 8, when we ask that question, what does it say? It's like, in response to what's happened before, there is an argument developing about how God in his supreme power is the one who then defines who is in his love. That's God in his supreme power is the one who defines who is in his love. And then we take it, pick it up again in verse 35. Now we're hearing, okay, can problems separate me from God's love? Like, can trouble 
separate me from God's love and I've got trouble, hardship, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. If we had more time, we could go into all of those. But in a big, you know, 30,000 foot view, obviously, from trouble to sword, we're basically covering all kind of human trouble, right? Like trouble when you fall on hardship from circumstances, persecution is hardship from people, famine is lack of provision, nakedness is shame or exposure, danger is lack of uh, protection, sword is violence. So we kind of have covered every kind of human trouble. Like I'm having a hard time finding another human trouble beyond that. So I'm like just writing underneath all of those words, like all, like Paul's trying to make it clear, everything, all falls under this argument, right? And then in 37, we hear sort of the response, hey, because of all of this, we are conquerors, right? Like we too can be victorious over these things, okay? So it starts off because of God's power, these three questions, who can bring a charge against those that God is for? Who can condemn those that God is for? Who could separate those who God is for? Who could bring trouble to those who God is for? And because of all that, we also are given that kind of power in this world. Okay, so that's what I wrote down. That kind of is getting into what does it mean. But that's my quick view of what this passage is trying to say to us, okay? So then we're going to ask the question, okay, what's the backstory? And when we ask the question, what's the backstory, we're starting to try to answer a couple of those questions that we have about the passage. We might not be able to answer every question, but a couple that we had were about, okay, what happened before this? Let's make sure we know. And then let's look at this word justify. Is there something there that we can explore a little bit deeper to make sure we understand what Paul is really saying, right? Okay, so verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? And if we go down, we can see actually that what the study notes are going to tell us, or as we look back, we're going to kind of get a feeling of what's really happening. We may need to look back a little bit beyond chapter eight. And that's why I love to do Bible study, you know, straight through, which is what we'll do in the fall. But again, right now, what do we want to know is, okay, what is going on here that teaches us why this is important? And so what we see here is that verse 31 kind of connects us to this next passage. And I love the study note under verse 32 in my NIV study Bible. It says, hey, this argument is similar to the argument in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And then we get a summary statement written for us by the commentators who wrote these notes. They're going to give us some help here. Okay. So here's our backstory. This is from the study note on 832. If God gave the supreme gift of his son to save us, he will certainly also give whatever is necessary to bring to fulfillment the work begun at the cross. And then it says, see note on Genesis 22, 16. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Taking it all the way back. And of course, like that just gets me so curious. So I always have to go switch back. I haven't looked y'all. I'm just going right now. I'm doing this work with you. In 22, 16, we hear this. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants. Ooh, remember back in the podcast, in the series called Unveiled, we talked about Abraham. We didn't look right at that piece. But if you haven't listened to that podcast, go on back because this is the treasure of scripture. As we begin to understand the stories of scripture, the meaning of scripture, we will go to other passages and be able to connect. So what we're connecting here is that God is saying, Paul is saying, hey, 
That story of Abraham giving up his son was a shadow of this story of how God says, I gave up my son. That is, that is proving in some ways his love. It's like the greatest give you could get the greatest thing that you could give up. And because of that, we can trust the word of God that says, Hey, will you trust me when I say I love you? Because I have given the greatest sacrifice in order that you might know that I love you. And how many of us friends are just sitting around questioning if God really loves us? Like, I just feel like we're we're getting into this logical, almost legal argument about why you should trust that God loves you, <laughs> like why you should trust that these words written in Romans chapter eight and the scope of scripture from Genesis to Revelation are about God saying, this is why you should trust me. This is why you should let me lead you. And here we see in Romans 8, this argument for, hey, like, because of what I've done, like, hey, in response to everything you've learned about what it means to be under the law. And so earlier in Romans, when we're saying, hey, in response to all these things, earlier in Romans, we discover why it's important for us to know that we can't work our way into salvation. Really, truly, at the end of the day, the book of Romans is saying, I'm going to lay out an argument for why you can't do this yourself. But hey, here's the good news. God has said that we can trust him to do it the way he says it's going to be done because he gave up his only son so that we might know his love, so that we might be in relationship with him. So we're working through this intellectual argument about why this matters. Now, if you're, I'm getting ahead of myself again today. If you're a person who's like, but Nicole, I don't feel it. I'm not experiencing it. I understand that. But I want you to know that God also made you with a mind. And the word repentance in scripture means to change one's mind. And I'm wondering if you could even take a step toward God by like intellectually agreeing that this argument here in Romans 8, like just logically makes sense. Like if I was like, if God says to you, hey, I'm going to give up the thing that's most precious to me to show you that I love you, like intellectually and logically, we have to ask the question, does that make sense? Like in the way we're wired? And yes, it does. Like that makes sense. We understand that kind of sacrifice does mean that like a person's invested and that they love, right? So even if you can't get there emotionally, I want to invite you to get there intellectually, okay? And what God is saying is, hey, if that is true, now I want to reorder your troubles and reorder your struggles based on what is true. If it is true that I am for you, as God is saying in this passage, so what does it mean for us? If it is true that God is for us, this is sort of my principle, question three, then it will change the way we view ourselves and the world. If it is true that God is for you, that you are not on trial, that no one's going to be able to bring a charge against you that God is the one who's going to justify you, that no one can condemn you because God is the one who justifies you, that nothing can separate you from God because God is the one with the power to say that that is true, then it will change the way you view yourself and your relationships. Because now we're saying, okay, God, I'm going to live by the way, by the order of things in the way that you've said they work. 
And if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to have the victory to know that no matter what troubles or hardships come to me, no matter what is a struggle for me in my life, no matter where I feel misunderstood or missed or lonely or abandoned or whatever, all of that is redefined and reordered based on this reality. Now, many of you are saying, Nicole, but if you understood how bad my marriage was, you would, you would know that like, this isn't making a connection for me. But this is what I want to say. Hang with me. We're in this series for six weeks. But this is such a foundational truth for the way that you understand yourself, the way that you engage in growing, the way that you engage in loving is so foundationally based on this passage, based on your understanding of this passage, the idea that you can't mess up enough to leave the, uh, the dominion of God's love that you can't condemn yourself enough to be separated from the love of Christ, that actually you're invited to see yourself as worthy of God's love and therefore able to grow into the way of life that he lays out for us. Nobody grows when they're feeling ashamed, exposed, condemned. That's not a place of growth. We can change our behavior on the outside, but we won't actually be transformed. That's not what transforms people. Like nothing shuts us down faster than feeling condemned, exposed, abandoned, alone. That is not a place of growth. And so when we read this, the more we could take in the truths of verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, not on our own, but through him who loved us. Then we become convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, then we are able to step into our life in a different way. We're no longer threatened by hardship We're no longer threatened by the loss of a relationship or conflict or struggle over time, guys, not right now, but like over time, we begin to enter in from a place that's like, man, I'm loved by God, which means as I engage in this day, I want to live the way that God is calling me to live under the instructions that he's giving me to live. And from that place, I am then able to love myself and love others not out of my own need to prove myself or to feel important or feel valued or feel like I belong. I don't need to do that anymore. I can actually love with freedom. That's why I think it says in scripture that it's for freedom that Christ set us free because free people act completely different than people who are not free. And so when we find ourselves free, when we find ourselves loved, then the way we enter into our relationships, particularly in conflict, will completely change. So hang with me. If that sounds like something you need in your life, that's what we're going to be doing together, everyone. I'm going to talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, We'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site 
in today's show notes. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.